The title of this morning's message is The Dangers of Drifting, and I'd like to begin this morning with sharing an experience with you that happened a while back. It was about in the summer of 2012. I aggressively jumped into a a sport called sailing. And I sailed for 10 years and then uh, have dropped that sport. But around the summer of 2012, uh, my son David and I decided to spend some time together on what I had was a 26-foot McGregor. We went out of the Berkeley uh, Marina and sailed across uh, the west end of San Francisco Bay, over towards Yerba Buena Island. And just north of the Bay Bridge at Yerba Buena Island is a marina and a small cove. And so as we finally got to that cove, we uh, nestled ourselves in there, hoping to get out of the the lee of the wind. And uh, as things would have it, we decided to set anchor and have some lunch. So um, it was easy enough to do. We put the anchor down, set the anchor, and then decided to go below to the galley to fix our sandwiches that we had prepared and invited uh, ourselves to a nice cold soda and some chips and chatting with one another and just kind of catching up with the gentle sway of the boat, just go like this, and we're below, and just really enjoying the moment. When after about 30 minutes, we heard someone outside yell, Ahoy! Ahoy! You're drifting, and you're getting close to my vessel. Well, having practiced what's called an anchor set, uh, only a handful of times. It's interesting that the protocols for this are that you, you are to know the depth of your water, you're to know the soil in which your anchor is going to be set, and there are markers on your, your anchorage uh, line that tell you 20, 40, 50, 80 feet, whatever. And I had known the depth, dropped the anchor, And then you're supposed to, as that anchor hits the bottom, you're actually supposed to uh, get to where the wind is is blowing you away from the anchor and you turn the motor on and actually motor backwards until you set that anchor. You turn your motor off and supposedly what the boat will do is pivot anywhere around, but it won't go past that anchorage point. Well, obviously, something had gone wrong. Had I not anchored correctly, perhaps the the tide had shifted and, and the direction in which that anchor was to take hold was disrupted by the change in the tide, or the question really was, what was it that allowed the anchor to give way and for us to begin to drift? We'd had our lunch, and so we decided to 
heave anchor, pull it in, motor out of the cove and go back to Berkeley and we had a great day. But the question remains, what was it that caused us to drift? Come to find out later after studying some of what goes on there, and it is a typical anchorage for many a sailor, is that the sandy bottom right there to the north of Yerba Buena Island is a area in which because of the makeup of the bottom soil, vessels are required to do a dual anchorage, one aft and one forward. In that way, the boat, instead of pulling itself off of the anchor, will remain steadfast. The correct knowledge of where I was and the correct method of what I was to do would have kept me, kept me better English from drifting. Where I am and what I'm to do. I start with those questions this morning because it's where the writer of Hebrews begins in chapter 2. You see, the author of the book was writing to Hebrews that were Christians. Now, we're in a completely different, uh, what we would call position, because we see the complete living word. We have all the Gospels, the book of Acts, we have the the epistles, and we have the complete record of the Lord and his ministry, what the apostles did, and what the church did. These that he is writing to were primarily operating from word of mouth. And though they had been instructed accurately and correctly, there's an interesting principle that you only retain 10% of what you hear. Did you know that? 10% of what you hear. You retain 20% of what you read. And then 80% of what you see. So this morning I can, you know, accurately say that you may only remember 10% of what I say but you'll remember 20% of what you read in that book in front of you. And if I make it clear enough by way of visual illustration, you may even remember 80% of what this author was trying to get across to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians that he's writing to. And he starts this chapter with, therefore... He's pointing back. He's saying, because I have just shared with you all that I have in the first chapter of this book, that God speaks to man. And that in the past, he chose to speak to man through prophets.
but that he has now chosen to speak to man through his son, Jesus Christ. And the author is reminding them with that word, therefore, whom Jesus Christ is superior to the prophets, superior to the angels as we studied last week. Catch up if you haven't gotten there. Superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, because as he told them, and we are reminded this morning, as we take that first word, therefore, that Jesus is the appointed heir of all things, through whom also he did make the worlds, the brightness of his image, the Father's image, the express image of his full person. He upholds all things by the word of his power and by himself, Jesus purged us of our sins and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, backing us up to that first verse, In chapter 2, he says, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. King James Version translates that we ought to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Did you know that the author of Hebrews employs a nautical term, nautical term, sailing term, right there in that phrase, more earnest heed. It is a Greek word that employs anchor, that we ought to give anchor to the things that we have heard. And In the original grammar, it carries not only the the idea of give anchor or have an anchor by the things that we have heard, but that this is not only the idea of hearing, but this is also the doing of what we hear. We must give, ought to give, an anchor hold to the things that we've heard that cause us to do the things that we do. Did you know that during the time of this writing, using this concept, the author of Hebrews actually understood that there were three basic symbols used by the early church. Can you guess what they are this morning? One of them was a fish. We see it today, right? On the back of license plates and everything, a little fish with a tail. The other one was a boat because the disciples, many of the disciples were in fact fishermen before Jesus called them to be fishers of men. But the third symbol logged into the the history of this and not more widely known was an anchor and that the anchor actually was seen more as a symbol for that they were Christians than the fish or the boat. 
Also in the Greek language, the word drift away is important because it carries with it the idea of to slip. It was used for a, a, an arrow slipping from a quiver, for snow slipping off a landscape, or food slipping down the windpipe to cause someone to choke. It happens easily. One doesn't do anything to drift. It just happens. And as one commentator put it, the backsliding of a Christian or the drifting of a Christian usually comes from a slow drift, not from a sudden departure. It's the warning to each one of us as Christians this morning, written thousands of years ago. Isn't that amazing that the Holy Spirit would know that this very exhortation would have as much application and importance in the life of you and I today as it did in the moment it was written? The Spirit of God. I take you to verse 2 and 3 to draw an illustration. Verse 2, as we read it, said, For if, and if you're taking note this morning or mark your Bible, you can circle that area right there, for if, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just a word, how shall, now circle that in verse 3, how shall we, notice the uh, word used there, the Holy Spirit moving a author, a Christian author, to write to Hebrews that are also Christians that now says, if you are a Christian this morning, if you're watching at home and you're a Christian this morning, or if maybe you're not a Christian, then that you're not included in that we. Uh, pray to God that one day you will be, but that the author says, we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by whom? By the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Let's unpack those two verses. What we have here basically is really defined somewhat um, fundamentally in the first two words of each verse, two and three. For if, how shall? In other words, if this happened, then why would not this happen? This happened, and this would happen also. So what happened? Well, the word was spoken through angels, and it proved to be steadfast. You remember several uh, of our references to Moses receiving, of course, the commandments, but then often the angel of the Lord would come and speak to Moses and inform him and direct him. 
And what we saw, what we can see, and what we have con consistent through the Old Testament, which I, I hope you read your Old Testament if, if you're a believer this morning. Uh, there are some denominations that actually just say, no, the New Testament is all we're going to stay in. We, Old Testament's old, out with the old and with the new. Excuse me, but uh, even secular historians know that a biblical text is uh, true to and consistent with secular history. So in other words, the Old Testament is a history book of what God did with a people known as the nation of Israel. But if you take the word history and parse it, what do you have? You have his story. And so the Old Testament as well as the New Testament is his story. You got to get in there and, and, and enjoy it and read it. I know Leviticus, a little hard. Not an easy read. But every word of God, infallible, inerrant, eternal, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can be reading Leviticus and God will speak to your heart about your life. How about that? And so in this history, we have God speaking and what God spoke was steadfast. It was true. It, it remained. And God's people were given instruction that, that this is how you are to live. This is how you are to worship me. And this is how I will operate in your life. And as God's people chose to live differently, worship a different God, God was steadfast in his consequence promise, consequential promise, would it say every transgression and disobedience received a just reward? How about that? Next time you need to discipline your child, you can tell them this is your just reward for disobeying. Oh, excuse me, do we discipline children today? There should be a movie called No Consequence. A little tongue-in-cheek there, but um, I think you all get the idea is that there is, there is written in the code of life a, a consequence. Every action will have a reaction. It's, it's, that's a physical law. Okay, in the spiritual world, every disobedience and transgression received a just reward, the author tells us. Now, transgression... Let's, you know, develop that a little bit. There is such a thing as, as a sin against God, and it was done unknowingly. In other words, the individual didn't know that that particular action, word, or thought uh, uh, 
bereaved God or, or, or dis- disappointed God. And so once, once they come to that knowledge, then they're informed, no, this is how you are to think, this is how you're to act, and this is how you're to speak. Then if they willfully, willfully disobey, then that's disobedience. You see the difference? A willful action, thought, or word against God, an unknowing action, thought, or word against God. Transgression, disobedience. And in both cases, the author is reminding us that once the word of God was given to the people of God, that God was faithful to uh, give them a just reward for transgression and disobedience as he was faithful to carry them, bring them, provide for them, lead them and guide them into what he wanted for them to be a promised land. In other words, there is a consequence when God's people did nothing or did things that were displeasing to him. Now, in that verse, uh, when it says verse Three, how shall we neglect? Uh, New King James says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. So the key there is that as he's writing to Christians, he's saying that God is faithful to bless and to Discipline. God is faithful to care for and in his care will guide and discipline his child. What parent here this morning doesn't love to lavish on their child um, kudos for good? That was such a great idea, son or daughter. Thank you so much for for helping to clean the house today. Thank you so much for taking care of your room. Thank you so much for those good words, those good thoughts. And yet, that same parent knows that there's an innate responsibility that when that child willfully disobeys, there there needs to be a consequence in order for that child to learn the value of obedience and the consequence for disobedience so that when we get out, out into life, Right? We understand that there's a value in obedience and a consequence for disobedience. I'm sorry, officer. I just wasn't watching my speedometer. Well, you're supposed to when you're driving. You're supposed to know how fast you're going. Right, son? Yeah, but I don't know. I just Well, I'm sorry you were distracted, too. Here's your ticket. Maybe no one here has ever had a ticket. I hope not. Moving violation. So what's the point here? The way I read this, the point is neglect. How shall we escape who are Christians? The writer is saying. 
that in the past when God had given the word, he was faithful to give a just reward for every transgression and disobedience. How shall we escape or get out of having a consequence if we neglect the things that we have heard, as in verse 1, that refer to this great salvation? Neglect. Neglect is a, a huge... Um, Danger. What do I mean by neglect? I mean, well, let me rephrase neglect. Over-familiarity. Over-familiarity with Bible reading, Bible study, going to church, spending time with other Christians, personal devotion, Prayer, over-familiarity with those things. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, there's a study on Thursday. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I, they're, they're in this book. I've already studied that book. Oh, there's a, there's a, a meeting of Christians Tuesday night. Well, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're, you know, they're focused on the Word of God and they're enjoying fellowship. Oh, yeah, but I, there are a couple guys there I don't really get along with. or I don't really. I'm busy. I'm, you know, it's got so much going on. Over, because I've done that. See, I've, I've been there. I've done that. Those words are dangerous in the mouth. Listen, those are some of the most dangerous words in the mouth of any Christian and in the mouth of any church leadership. I've been there. I've done that, implying that I don't need to do that anymore. Oh, my goodness. Careful. I'll give you an illustration. It's terrible, so forgive me. Just that's my disclaimer, okay? Here's my illustration. I don't know how y'all feel about the Magic Kingdom Disneyland. Sorry, I know it's a bad word. There's a lot of, you know, stuff in the papers about it. And, and, you know, we can discuss all that some other time. But set that to the side for just one moment, please, and hear me out. Uh, True story. Well, true illustration. There There was a... a man who lived about 30 minutes from the Magic Kingdom. And the first time he went, he was like, wow, this place is amazing. I'll read it. Second time he went, it was intriguing. Third time he went, it was exciting. Fourth time he went, It was wonderful. Fifth time, it was fine. Sixth time, it's okay. After about the 10th, 25th, and 39th time, he would run into somebody on the street and say, Hey, what's it like? What's it like? Tell me. I'm going to go. Oh, yeah, you should go. Well, what's it like? Well, you'll like it. It's great. Okay, you going to come? No, no. I've been there. I've done that. Do you see the analogy? I mean, 
if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time at all, sometimes it's like we get the, oh, I've done that already. I've, I've been there and done that. And, and maybe a little bit of the majesty of God has somehow not been anchored correctly in the soul of who you are and who he is and what he's doing every day of your life. Author calls it a great salvation. Great salvation. I've shared with you before, but it's worth sharing again. I know years ago, we're talking about the trouble in Ukraine going on right now today. Years ago, when I was at Costa Mesa and studying and asking the Lord what he was going to do with my life, I met a Russian named Yuri Novak, who Yuri had grown up near the Ukraine in a godless society, and yet he had received Christ. To him, it was in that moment and remains today Great salvation. Have you received Christ today? Can you say, yes, I've invited Christ into my life? One morning in our weekly class gatherings, we would have devotions. and we'd, This particular morning, we're sitting in a circle, and about nine or 11 of us going around the circle. And what we were instructed to do was just tell each other our name and, and talk about how God was working in our life to either correct things that were in need of correction or, or how he was blessing us in terms of the way he was blessing us. And I remember going around the circle and it got to Yuri. <laughs> U-R-I is how you spell his name. And he just started to break down and weep. I know men don't cry, right? He just started to weep and weep and weep, not to get over emotional with you this morning, but, I mean, these tears were so genuine and real. They were, you couldn't be in the presence of it and not know something was really happening. He knew it was his turn to share. And after a couple of minutes of just listening to him weep, he said, in his broken Russian, so precious, he said, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just being hit by the grace of God. It was a great salvation to him. Is it to you? See, that's all really I have this morning. I mean, public speaking. Tell them what you're going to tell them about. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I don't have much this morning except to say to each one of us who is a Christian or who's watching at home that there is a biblical danger of drifting written. 
And if the signposts are there of an attitude that says, been there, done that. Or the intrigue or the excitement or the joy of a great salvation is beginning to like the air in a balloon. Leak out into that balloon flat. Well, what do we do? We ask God to breathe. Breath of life into us afresh. Blow again, God. Lord, I'm not, I'm not filled yet, Lord. Where's your anchor this morning? Is it in career? Is it in relationship? Is it in circumstance? Is it in family? Business? Ownership? You see, this great salvation Jesus spoke of all throughout the Gospels, it's there for us to remind ourselves of any time you and I choose to remind ourselves of it. And as we read, we see that there were others that heard him As we read the Gospels, we recognize what the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 3, that that what Jesus said was confirmed by those that heard him. And as they heard the Lord and our Savior went to the cross to purge us of our sins, to take upon himself the penalty for every transgression and disobedience that we have done. That those that had heard him began to share that message in a world, culture, tradition that thought they were okay with their spirituality, i.e. Judaism. And I'm all for this great nation we live in. I I am honored to be an American citizen this morning before God and before you. But God bless America is a phrase that has become a cliche that can have no more meaning in it than the person who is in contact with that God and says it. What am I saying? I'm saying if you're an American citizen today, you are not by default a Christian. If you've walked into the doors of a church today, you are not by default of a Christian, a Christian. 
Jesus said you must be born again. And I pray that everyone hearing, listening, would say, yes, I am. And then I would take it in closing this last step further to say that God wasn't, wasn't just going to stop with those that had heard him taking the message. He confirmed what was true and real, verse 4, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. He confirmed that this Jesus, who said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. This, my son, is heir of all things. Hear ye him. Hear him. Listen to him. And if we've listened, and if we've heard, then our lives should reflect My life, I'll speak to me first. My life should reflect that I am taking more earnest heed. I've anchored myself. And not with just one anchor, but rightfully so in the fore and in the aft so that I don't drift. I've anchored myself in the things that he has said that I have heard others say. And that God has confirmed to me in the witness of signs and wonders and miracles and and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Where is your anchor this morning? Is it anchored properly? That's That's where this author is going to launch Next, as he begins to take this subject of, of, a, of a right anchoring further. And how wise we would be to simply take a moment to answer that question for ourselves. Is it anchored in Christ this morning? If not, you don't have to leave here today or you don't have to turn off your television before just saying, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that you sent your son to save me of my sin. Took the penalty of my sin upon himself. I believe in Jesus Christ. I ask him to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life and live his life through me. In Jesus' name, you can pray that prayer and you can leave here Today, you can turn off your TV saying, we, I'm in that we. And the rest of us that may already be in that two-letter word, we, just listen to the Spirit of God say to me and you, anchor wisely, rightly, correctly today. Join me as we pray.
Lord, we thank you this morning for your great word. For the obedience of your servant, the writer of Hebrews, to make things so clear to every reader of which we are grateful. But Lord, we're even more grateful this morning of who you are. You are our anchor. And your salvation is great, Lord. May each time we visit your kingdom in prayer, in study, in fellowship, in worship, in service, Lord, each time may we never lose the wonder the majesty of who you are. Help us, O oh God. Blow the breath of God into us afresh as your people, as a church today, as an individual, as a member of the body of Christ, we ask. And we'll give you praise. We'll give you praise. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, church.